and welcome everybody again to another episode of the Blue Banter Podcast, a podcast where we're striving to introduce the members of the RPCNA to the pastors of the RPCNA and to serve young and aspiring pastors by gleaning wisdom from men with ministry experience. I am one of your co-hosts, Joe Smith, the pastor of Westminster Reformed Presbyterian Church in Westminster, Colorado. I'm Aaron Murray, pastor of Marion Reformed Presbyterian Church in Marion, Indiana, promised land of the north. And I will say it is uh, quite rainy today, um, so it's a little bit dreary. I'm a little weary myself, but uh, we press on. But Joseph, I think you know this about me, but one of my, no, not one of my, my all-time favorite superhero is Batman. And one of my favorite uh, comic book runs was called Batman Year One. And basically what that comic was about was about Batman coming into himself and kind of the um, his escapades as his first year as uh, a crime-fighting vigilante. And I love it very much. So when you suggested this topic, I thought this is quite interesting. So what we're doing today, listeners, is uh, we don't have a guest for us, but we are going to do Joseph Smith, Aaron Murray, Ministry Year One. So we've got a couple of questions that uh, Joe and I have bounce back off and off uh, back and forth uh, from each other. And we're just going to kind of go through these and talk about uh, some of the things that uh, we've learned and um, grown in or, or see even the need to grow in uh, mostly that I think uh, in our first year of ministry, have I uh, accurately summarized what we'll be doing today, Mr. Smith? You have. Okay. All right. Well, uh, we'll just jump into this. The first uh, question I have uh, for both of us is, what would be kind of the top three most influential or impactful books that you've read in your first year of ministry? Yeah, so for the first one I had for myself, we're going to go back and forth on these, but I, I started reading it almost essentially right when I got to Westminster, and it's uh, essentially part one, which is originally volume one, because this book I'm going to mention in just a second was originally published in three separate volumes, but it's Jay Adams shepherding God's flock. And, and now they print it in a single volume with all three under one cover. And I just read volume one of that. It's 130 something pages. I think I looked back at, and it was just so helpful because so many books helpfully but they only talk about the theory of shepherding and and they don't get down into like the nitty gritty. That's one thing I love about just while we're talking about books, uh, Denny Pruto's public worship 101. So practical. Mm -hmm. Like mm -hmm. when I was baptizing my first baby, he has these tips about, and I followed him, dude, mm -hmm. uh, you know, ha have the mom hold the baby. Cause it's just one less handoff. It keeps the baby more comfortable. Make sure the water is, warm as you can have it you know you don't want to dump cold ice cold water yeah, on get, a baby. get get the water out like as soon as you get to church so it's like you know it's room temperature or something like that yeah, yeah yeah and that's what i do i get it super hot and then by the time you know we're about to roll it's it's good to go but this hey, is like hey little... tell, tell people how you practiced tell people how i oh with the the baby doll yeah with the baby doll no shame <laughs> in my game dude no, I love it. I just, uh, okay. that, was, that was funny. I, I just think it's good for people to hear that uh, things like that happen, you know? Practice behind the scenes, you know? Mm -hmm. um, so, so, so in back to my point there, Adam's book on shepherding God's flock to me was like Denny's book on public worship 101, just these very practical things 
about uh, basics of counseling with people and and in-home visitations and hospital visits and just all sorts of just uber concrete practical things rooted in good theology and so that would be my number one and and I just found myself putting into practice so many of those things just immediately almost and and continue to do so so I expect that's going to be a volume I will reread numerous times as I've already done so with certain sections of it but that would be not my my number one Mm -hmm. shepherding god's flock volume one jay adams yeah i i've got the second volume i I found it at uh half price books um so i don't have the other uh two so i might pick up that uh uh, copy that has all three volumes um my order is not so much the the order of importance or significance as much as it was maybe just the order i've I've read them in um so so like you it's it's more of an intimately practical book um and i think uh adam niece even referenced it a couple weeks ago when we interviewed him but it's the uh, New Pastor's Handbook, Help and Encouragement for the First Year of Ministry uh, by Jason Halopoulos. Uh, so this book was given to me by uh, George Gregory. Um, and, you know, people, I think if they've listened to this podcast, they know that I interned with George for two years. George has been uh, a real encouragement to me. He's a close friend. He's a he's a mentor. Um, so he gave me this book. So I was like, well, right, well I'm reading this. So um, I read it, I think, in the first two weeks of uh, being uh, in the ministry. And it's not, I mean, it's not a big book. Um, it's its short and it's got, I don't know, 50 or 60 different chapters on the intimately practical side of things uh, of being a pastor. Uh, so it is a handbook. Um, so it's one of those kinds of things where you could, you know, look in the uh, um, table of contents, find what kind of what you want, go there and read it. You don't have to read it from cover to cover, um, but it, it has been a, a good book and a blessing to me. Um, so I've really uh, enjoyed reading that. So I, I would recommend it to really anybody. Um seminary student, but particularly uh, guys in their first few years of ministry. When was that published? Uh, new, you know, is it a newer book? Cause I had yeah, never heard of it before Nice mentioned it. It's relatively new. I mean, I'm recording in my uh, home office or my home studio rather, which is my bedroom. So I'm not at my church office. I had the book on my desk, but because the internet's really bad there, I had to come over here. Um, so I, I don't know when it was published, but I, I do think it was relatively recent. Cool. Cool. Yeah. So well, what's your second? My, yeah. My number two. And, and again, I'm with you. I don't know if I necessarily ranked these myself, even though it kind of sounded that way. And I probably wouldn't mind putting Adams there at number one. Uh, the next two, I wouldn't say they ranked in order, but maybe they are. Um, they they come from uh, two Puritan paperbacks that I've read through uh, with a young brother in our congregation I meet with each week. And uh, so number two for me would be John Owen's The Mortification of Sin. I had never read that. Before, obviously, it was a work I was aware of and had seen quoted and read quotes from, but but actually uh, reading that one from cover to cover and Owen's treatment of uh, the duty of the mortification of sin and just how he unpacks that across multiple chapters and then his emphasis on uh, looking to Christ and the and by the power of the spirit at the end um was was exceedingly helpful convicting refreshing all sorts of ways i'm a big fan of uh, jay adams uh the christian counselor's case manual and uh, in there he has seven steps i believe essentially of of putting off and putting on mm-hmm. again adams is a master 
of practical application and implementation, though he often doesn't get enough credit for the theology that he also puts forth. Um, Did you read the, that book I gave you by him on uh, meeting a mode of baptism? I have referenced it. I think that's, I have not read that cover. To yeah, cover. it has nothing to do with counseling, but I, I, I agree with you theologically. I think it's one of the most concise, um, helpful articulations of uh, the meaning and mode of baptism. Sorry to cut you off there. Continue. No, yeah, I, I was just going to say it's I don't want to paint the picture that Adams is all practice and no theology. Yeah, that's not the case at all. At all, as as you know, we had we read that excellent book, uh, More Than Redemption: A Theology of Biblical Counseling, in in Keith Evans' intro class, and that's I mean that is just all is theology and how it applies to counseling, but 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 anyways, nevertheless, the combination of of the background in Adams, coupled with some of the emphases in John Owen, has just been uber helpful to me. I ended up creating a sheet um, on on how to put off and put on that I printed out and and put in the back on our book table for our members. Mm -hmm. And it's essentially just a combination of Owen and Adams. And so coupling some of Owen's emphases that, that are not absent in Adams, but just are not his emphasis in the sections I read was extremely helpful to me. And usually you read a book like The Mortification of Sin, and the Lord is pleased to use works like that to um, grow you in your own holiness and hatred for sin. And and that was certainly the reading of that book uh, What was corresponded with a time of, of uh, refreshment from on high in my own life. Mm-hmm. So mm-hmm. that that was a great book. Yeah, you know, it, it's striking to me as we're kind of talking about these books so far. Um, well, at least the the last two, um, and then this next one I'm going to give even. They've all kind of been either recommended to us or kind of given to us by guys that we've had on this podcast. So, for for example, uh, New Pastor's Handbook, George Gregory, he was one of our first guests. Then uh, Mortification of Sin. I remember the impetus for you for really picking that up was after we interviewed Ken Butterfield um, and his recommendation to do that. Mm-hmm. And then um, this book, my, my second book, Simply Trinity um, by Matthew Barrett. This was something that uh, we read um, as kind of a study cohort that Adam Keener put on, um, who at least at this time of the recording, his episode's not up yet, but it should be up by tomorrow of time of recording at least. Um, so I think that's uh, really interesting that uh, the podcast has been so influential on us, at least. Uh, but yeah, mm-hmm. Simply Trinity is a really good book. It's um, it's not an easy read in the sense that you know we're talking about uh, the Trinity, right? Um, but it's not so intimidating that um, you have to be a seminary student or a pastor to read it. Like he um, uses uh, what's the movie Back to the Future multiple times. <laughs> <laughs> throughout the book. So anybody who can uh, weave movie illustrations uh, into uh, theology has got my vote. So I, I really appreciated it. And um, like, I know you're really strong or you're much stronger than I am on theology proper. So I found it really helpful um, just in thinking about the Trinity. So I, I recommend Simply Trinity by Matthew Barrett. Really, really good. Yeah, Barrett's good. It's blanking me right now, but if you would just look him up on YouTube, and it's maybe even a podcast that's just like kind of like recorded and put on YouTube. Um, it's definitely that format. He uh, he, I can't remember the name of it. Anyways, he has excellent 
podcast interviews, etc. on there. We'll have he'll have other men on like Scott Swain mm-hmm. or JV Fesco or whoever. And, yeah, and I think Swain gave the uh, forward to his book. Likely. So, yeah, yeah guys like Fred Sanders, he'll have on there, uh, so on and so forth. But essentially, most episodes, at least, uh, are are on the Trinity and just some of the most helpful things. I've heard J.V. Fesco on there. They had an episode on how temporal human generation differs from mm-hmm. eternal generation. And that was just so uber helpful to me and that yeah barrett is just like he brings he brings guys like turretin and van maastricht and mm-hmm. owen and and some of the best just up into um more modern yeah he popularizes and, them like it, it would be harder for me to read van masters uh, i mean i right. could do it but i would have to like slog through it um so barrett's really helpful and i think he does a really good job of kind of exposing the uh gross errors of social trinitarianism um yeah. in his book it's really really good yeah, that was an excellent, excellent section. Um, good stuff. Uh, makes my heart sing that you had that on there. Well, I'm, um, I'm glad. Number three for me is uh, another Puritan paperback. Uh, Owen's contemporaries, uh, Thomas Goodwin's The Heart of Christ. Uh, I think the longer title was originally something like The Heart of Christ in Heaven Towards Sinners on Earth. And just Goodwin's unpacking of Christ's high priestly ministry uh, and that his heart, you know, though he is high in heaven and glorified now, his heart goes out to us all the more. He's not so lifted up that his heart no longer goes out to us as much as it did to his disciples while he was on the earth, but all the more it does as he has been glorified. And so, that was just a heartwarming book, hearing of Christ's heart towards not only his church, but uh, to me myself as one member of his bride, and just hearing each week Goodwin unpack uh, the heart of my Savior towards me was another one of those very edifying uh, books I've read this year. Yeah, the uh, uh, third for me you know, this is the blue banter. So we've got to throw in some RPers in here, you know, and uh, no, actually as good as the uh, grass market press books are, um, and they are good. You should read them. Um, this one actually just came out, I think a couple of weeks ago, uh, Rosaria Butterfield's new book, five lies of the anti-Christian age. Um, it's a, uh, it's absolutely fantastic. I, uh, I, I am breezing through it. I'm not quite finished with it yet. Um, but as of this recording tomorrow will be my official year one or anniversary of ordination. So I have till um, tomorrow evening to finish it. <laughs> so I, you know, I've got maybe two hours left in the book. So hopefully I'll be knocking it out tonight. Um, but it, it's really, really good. I mean, she, uh, she's got a number of interviews um, on podcasts that she's done that are good, but let me just pull up kind of the table of contents and uh, show you what the lies are. Cause I think everybody should read them. Um, so lie one, homosexuality is normal. Lie two, being a spiritual person is kinder than being a biblical Christian. Uh, lie three, feminism is good for the world and the church. Lie four, transgenderism is normal. And then lie five, modesty is an outdated burden that serves male dominance and holds women back. And so in her forward or her uh, introduction, rather, um, she basically says she's writing this to to women. 
to mothers and to grandmothers because particularly transgenderism and feminism are just absolutely, they have a strangle hold on, uh, on our women, particularly our young women. Um, and it's, it's just absolutely fantastic. She doesn't, uh, she doesn't hold any punches. She's not unkind, uh, but she's very direct. Um, and I'm just finding myself encouraged um, and even emboldened, I would say, to continue to speak out against these lies. So mm-hmm. I, I highly recommend uh, Rosaria's new book. And um, she she wrote a book, Openness Unhindered, on hospitality, which was really good. And in that, um, she talks about using um, preferred pronouns. Um, and her introduction, she actually spends <clears throat> quite a bit of time kind of repenting of that. Um, so there's a real sense of uh, humility that she's expressing um, in her book, even as she's coming out pretty aggressively against a lot of these uh, wicked lies of our culture. Mm-hmm. So highly recommend Rosaria Butterfield's new book, uh, Five Lies of the Anti-Christian Age. Mm-hmm. Um, you got any honorable mentions before we move on? Oh, yeah. So so, so some of the good books I'm reading now that I assume... Uh, well... One honorable, one one or two honorable mentions, and then three that I'm reading now that I assume would be on this list uh, if this was a second year episode. Um, so, so I read two productivity books this year. Tim Challey's uh, "Getting More Done Better" or something like do, that. Do more better, yeah, 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 that one. And then Reagan Rose's, um, what's that one called? Uh, uh, redeeming productivity. Yes, uh, productivity was in my mind. You were a big evangelist uh, for that when uh, we had your interview uh, episode. I? Oh yeah, dude, you were all about it. I mean, it's a great book. Yeah, yeah. yeah. So anyway, those those were just helpful in setting up systems, organizing things uh, for being productive and fruitful in ministry. Um, then a few of the ones I'm reading right now that I've just been really digging, uh, John Carrick's The Imperative of Preaching, which I'm almost through with, has been helpful. I'm reading Ian Murray's The Puritan Hope, about halfway through that, and just been really digging that. And then Jay Adams' How to Help People Change, a um, little over halfway through that. And so those are three that I'm currently reading that I'm especially enjoying and being taught by mm-hmm. yeah i got uh, two honorable mentions and i'll maybe give one or two books that i'm currently reading right now uh the first would be bully pulpit by michael kruger uh, again i think this came out earlier this year um re- really good book and basically what it is is kind of um a diagnostic book on spiritual abuse uh, particularly in um you know spiritual leadership so I was reading it not because I'm like, oh, I I'm, I think that this particular person is a spiritual abuser and I want to read this book, but it was more just, uh, I wanted to read it and just self-diagnose myself. You know, and it was one of those scary books where you're like, oh dude, there's a lot of like sinful proclivities in my own heart that could easily manifest into a spiritual abuse. So it was one of those like, um, but for the grace of God, there go I. So it's, it's a really good book. I think everybody in ministry should probably read it. Um, you know, if you're not in ministry, you, you still read it. Just be careful to not look for spiritual abuse under every single rock. Um, but yeah, that's a that's a really good one. <clears throat> and then um, the other one is called Autopsy of a Deceased Church by uh, Thomas Reiner. And it basically, it's exactly what it sounds like. He's gone through and just looked at a bunch of churches that have had their lampstands removed and tried to diagnose, um, you know, what was the cause of death, uh, kind of as it were. And 
Um, it's not going to blow anybody's mind, but the, the big ones are, you know, there's, there's a loss of uh, corporate prayer and a loss of uh, fulfilling the Great Commission. And, and that was just really kind of lit a fire into my pants. But like, yeah, we need to be involved in these kinds of things uh, as a congregation. Yeah. Uh, so those would be two honorable mentions. They're Again, they're both very simple. You could read them in an afternoon. Then um, what I'm reading right now, I'm reading uh, Sinclair Ferguson's book, uh, Deserted by God. And that's fantastic. He basically just goes through a bunch of different Psalms um, and goes through, you know, why Christians, you know, particularly believers feel um, like they're deserted by God and goes through the Psalms and like, this is nothing new. And, you know, we have the words of Christ to be able to uh, read and sing back to him uh, that expresses these emotions. Um, So I don't feel deserted by God, but these are the kinds of books that you want to read before you feel that. (laughs) Um, so I really, really enjoying it. And then, uh, I'm going through Burkhoff systematic theology again for the second time, just cause I, I really, really, um, I like the way Burkhoff writes. I don't know. I, I resonate with it more than I do other guys like Turretin. I like Turretin, um, but I can only, maybe only get through one question at a time before I have to set the book down and kind of pick my brain off the floor. Um, so those would be some honorable mentions for me. Mm-hmm. Um, this has been fun. I love talking about books, but let's, uh, move into the, the next question here. And so uh, one of the things that I do with my family um, after every uh, Lord's Day when we come home, you know, if we we do this, if we have guests over, but particularly if we don't is uh, as we're eating dinner, which is lunch on Sundays, because dinner is called lunch on Sundays. Fight me if you want to. Um, I just ask, you know, my kids and my wife, you know, it's one thing that you learned from the sermon. And so we go around and we talk about it. And it's always kind of encouraging for my kids to tell me what they hear because they're young and. <laughs> a couple of weeks ago, uh, we were going through uh, Acts 12, and this is where Herod dies. You know, he comes out, voice of a God, not a man, blah, 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 blah. And, you know, the angel of the Lord comes and kills him, and he's eaten by worms or whatever. So I said that, and then Dominic, my uh, second, he's uh, five. He just audibly, like, shouts in the middle of service, wait, he died? And everybody's laughing and it's like, all right, I got to compose myself and everything and, and keep preaching. Um, but, you know, our kids do listen. And so it's fun to hear um, how my kids are listening, what the Lord's teaching uh, my children and, and my wife through the preach word. Um, so I thought maybe let's uh, ask this question um, as, you know, we're called to uh, be ministers of the word. We're called to feed the, the flock. How has the Lord been feeding you as you seek to feed others? So what are some things that you've kind of been learning Um doctrinally or devotionally uh, throughout your sermon preparation in your first year? Yeah, I told you I wasn't 100% clear on this one at first, but I mean, I think I got you. But either way, I'm just going to answer kind of according to the notes I had. So, you know, as far as instruction wise, like uh, throughout my sermon prep this first year, what's something that stuck out to me that I believe um, I've been taught uh, and that has a, brought my thinking more into line with what I believe God's thinking is. And uh, it was when I was preaching through Malachi and preached Malachi 3, 8 through 12 on uh, the topic of tithing. And I knew that was obviously a text in there when I started preaching through Malachi. And so it was something that I studied quite a bit. Uh, leading up to that on the side. It was one of those things I knew I wouldn't have the time to get my thoughts sorted out um, conviction-wise if I just waited uh, uh, to the week of. And 
I would say tithing was something that I had been doing for ever since we had been in the RP church and and was practically convinced of it and leaned towards it doctrinally. But having studied the issue and then preached the sermon that I felt I would be convinced of it now, I two, two essays, if you will, that were helpful to me in thinking on it, and they, and they take different sides of the issue, would be uh, A.W. Pink's article on tithing and then Thomas Peck's article, and Peck uh, argues against uh, obligatory tithing in the New Covenant, and I read both of those articles multiple times each and studied the scriptures on my own, read other things, and am pretty solidly convinced uh, that uh, tithing is obligatory. I could use at least just the perhaps slightly softer language of our testimony that the Christian should give uh, at least 10% of their income. Uh, to the Lord through his church. And so to me, the argument was pretty simple. I don't have to uh, rehash it all now, but the case for tithing to me is very similar to uh, the case we would make for continuing Sabbath observance and the switch of the day and things like that and, and how that case would be lined out and also in many ways how we also argue for infant baptism. I think a very similar case is uh, can be made for tithing, and the logic of it has been persuasive to me. Mm-hmm. And, you and, want and, me? In particular, you mean like uh, it is an element of worship, not not just like a good practice to do that, you know, if we're feeling generous, you know, we ought to, but this is an element of worship that Christians are um, joyfully duty-bound to engage in. So, so I preached on the element of worship from Malachi 3.7 on a sermon, the offering ordinance. So I would say the element of worship is the presentation of tithes and offerings. But the tithe, I would say, is the commanded amount mm-hmm. of minimum giving for the Christian and you know how they, how they go about presenting that uh, when it's time to present those tithes and offerings in worship. Uh, you know, whether they're going to write a check once a month or what, how are, you know, give what, cash what, each time. What about online giving? How do you feel about that? That might take us into the weeds, but I'm just curious real quick. 30, 30 seconds. Just give me 30 seconds on that. That would take us into the weeds. My <laughs> thinking on that was more clear when I was asked about that after the sermon. I don't think I, I have a problem with that so long as you're still praising God uh, during the time of the presentation of tithes and offerings. Some people were even like, you know, I think I'm actually just going to hit the, hit the give button on my Zelle during, Mm -hmm. during that. So I think there are ways to do it. Um, I think demanding one way or another or telling someone they can't uh, give online would probably be pressing things. Yeah. It it gets more into the, uh, you know, you've got elements, circumstances and forms. This gets into the more forms discussion. So yeah, I, I'm I'm fine with it if if that's you know what somebody wants to do. I think the main thing is that you're in a worshipful attitude during that element of worship. So yeah, I think tithes and offerings. Again, I preached a sermon on that as well. I know, uh, yeah, I, I I I believe that is an element of worship in accord with uh, the RP Constitution, and I think the tithe specifically is the minimum amount that a Christian ought give. Uh, back to the Lord with joy and delight and thankfulness in their heart. 
Um, do you want me to launch into devotional aspects or do you uh, have a doctrinal thing? Yeah, you I mean, let's, let's ping pong. Like I, um, so I've got five different things that I've got here. I don't think anything, there's been nothing that I've come across in my preaching that's been like, oh, I think I was wrong about this and I need to change my mind. It, it's been more of like, it's been more clarity than anything um, rather than change of conviction. I, I would say before I put myself out here a little bit, I guess, um, not necessarily through sermon preparation, but one doctrinal um, shift I've had, I guess, would be I've moved from more of a um, a critical text preference to a majority text preference. Um, but that that's not that would be kind of a doctrinal shift, nothing significant. Well, depends on who you talk to, I guess. Um, you can write your emails to joesmith.com. Um, one of the things that I've just been encouraged by in, in my preaching is just the um, the beauty of the scriptures, in particular, the thread of redemption um, throughout the Old Testament and into the New Testament. And so, you know, we're, we're in the book of Acts and just seeing one, you know, the explicit references to um, Isaiah, but even the implicit references as well. <clears throat> and it's not just Isaiah, it's, it's all the prophets, right? But um, particularly with the uh, um, beggar at the temple early on in Acts, um, you know, he asked for silver and gold, Peter and John, I don't have any, but what I do, I give to you. And he gets up and he runs around and he's walking and he's leaping and he's praising God. And it's like, well, why is he walking, leaping and praising God? Well, um, because he has his legs back <laughs> for one, like, of course he's excited, but also I think it's uh, Isaiah 34, 35 that talks about when the Messiah has come, people will run around walking and leaping like a gazelle. And so just the the beauty of the scriptures and and how they are organically woven together um, to show the beauty of the Messiah, the power of the Messiah, the, the power of Jesus and salvation, the good news of the gospel. I just I found absolutely marvelous. Um, and it just causes me to uh, to worship and it, and it feeds my soul um, just seeing things like that. So I've got five. So I'll, I'll let you go um, again and then. Maybe we can keep ping-ponging back and forth. If you've got more, if not, I'll just motor mouth through the, the rest of them after you. Go ahead and motor mouth us there, brother, because I just, the, the tithing was the main thing that came to my mind, and I moved on to the devotional thing from that. I probably could have thought of more things, but that's all I have sure. for that. Yeah. Well, and then, you know, just, just sticking through uh, the book of Acts, just one of the things that I've really um, grown in is just the, the joy of the sign of baptism. And we've talked about this a little bit, but with the Ethiopian eunuch, you know, he's he's there in Jerusalem. He's trying to worship as best he can. Um, he's a Gentile. He's not able to, um, you know, he wants to be a Jewish convert. You know, he, he he desires to even have that sign of circumcision, but because he's a eunuch, you know, he, sorry, you can't have it physically. Um, but then when you see him hear the gospel again from Isaiah, um, he sees water and he's like, well, what prevents me from being baptized? What prevents me from having the sign? I can actually get it now. Um, and he's able to be baptized. <laughs> and, you know, that's just, it just shows the joy of baptism and it, and it causes me to kind of improve on my own baptism even. Um, so I found that just absolutely beautiful through the book of Acts. Um, the first book I preached through here in Marian uh, was Philippians. There are a number of things from Philippians that uh, have been an encouragement to me. Um, one would be kind of just studying uh, relational reconciliation, particularly from uh, Philippians 4, you know, entry Iodia and Syntyche to agree in the Lord and just studying that and um, 
learning principles of reconciliation has been helpful for me um, as a pastor and, uh, you know, helping others in the church um, reconcile with one another, trying to reconcile with others uh, myself has, has been really helpful. And then uh, Philippians 3, while there's a lot there, if I were to distill what Philippians 3 is about, is that joy is the antidote to both legalism and antinomianism. Because you look at Philippians 3, the first few verses are all about legalism, um, and then the last are all about antinomianism. Um, do, 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 or I don't have to, I don't have to, I don't have to. And the text starts with rejoice in the Lord, and then it dives right into these two big issues. Um, so that's been a real joy to me, uh, pun intended. Um, that whenever there's that temptation to be legalistic or that temptation to be antinomian, to be lax in my sanctification, it's like, well, no, I have joy in the Lord, so I don't have to do these things. I have joy in the Lord. Man, I'm really thankful that I get to obey. Um, and then last, I, I was I used to preach through um, Haggai, and I love the way that uh, Haggai ends. <clears throat> you know, this is, this is basically about rebuilding the temple after um, the Jews are brought back from exile. And you have the, the way the book ends is with Zerubbabel um, being called the signet ring of God. And the signet ring of God was kind of the sign of the Davidic covenant that, that God gives with David. And then in Jeremiah 22, the signet ring is removed and they're exiled and then they're brought back and that signet ring is given again. And it's through Zerubbabel that Jesus comes. And it just, I don't know, it just gets me so excited <laughs> um, and thankful that uh, the Lord is faithful to his promises. Uh, even when we fail, the Lord still rules and reigns. Um, and Jesus is the one ruling and reigning on the throne of Israel forever. So that's, so that's what I've got. What do you got for me, brother? So I had a devotional thing. I did the one doctrinal, one devotional uh, so just devotionally, I in the evenings, I started when I got here preaching through the Psalms, got up to Psalm 17, and then switched to Malachi. And But then what I've done is I picked back up the Psalms on the first Lord's Day of, the, of each month when we, when we have the Lord's Supper. So I'll preach from a Psalm or a section of a Psalm for that. But especially in the early Psalms, just one thing that was helpful for me just to see over and over, mainly from Psalm 3 forward after you get past 1 and 2, um, was just the emphasis, and, and a lot of times it's just often by David's example, um, on, on the need for regular, specific, and then uh, what, I, what I said, argumentative prayer where David is attaching arguments to his prayer per the teaching of the conclusion of the Lord's prayer. He's often calling on God to be who he is. He's calling on God to do again for him what he's done in the past, and he's appealing uh, to God with arguments. And obviously our God wants us to do that. He delights in uh, being reminded, not that he needs to remember, obviously, but of us bringing these things to him and laying them before him. He delights in that. And, and just the specific prayer as well on the need for specificity and to confess particular sins particularly. And especially when we're needing help from on high for something particular, uh, we should be very specific. Uh, of course, mm -hmm. God knows Right. He knows if we're general, but not just with confessing particular sins, particularly, but we should make specific petitions specifically and be very specific and tell our father in heaven exactly 
uh, what we want and to do so regularly. David uh, uh, crying out, how long, O Lord? Like I don't. I'm blanking now. It may be Psalm 13. How long, O Lord? How yeah, long, O Lord? Over is. and over. Mm-hmm. And um, you know, just and when I preached through that, you know, going to uh the the unjust judge mm-hmm. and and how she cried out and she knocked and Christ commands to knock. And so, what do you do if you don't get your answer one day? You ask again. You knock again. <laughs> and you knock and you knock and you knock. Um, and so, so just the need for that regular petition and specific petition and attaching arguments, and then also just bringing back another book, uh, that is just maybe one of my all time favorites thus far that I'm also reading through right now, but it almost deserves to be in a category of its own in my mind. Cause it kind of transcends favorite book of the year thing is Al Martin's volume one mm. on pastoral theology mm. and the second section on the, uh, uh, the the pastor's godly life and and i'm reading through that a second time just slowly and i just have finished up uh, the spiritual relationship section on prayer and so that just you know just prayer was on my mind now and just how critical that is i just preached psalm 20 and uh people of god sing against unbelievers and even condemning uh, when we do this ourselves, those who trust in chariots and horses, and in many ways we can practically do that, even though we would never say that we are, uh, whenever we do things without prayer. You know, I condemn myself, you know, that oftentimes I can sit down for sermon prep or whatever and mm-hmm. crack tools open. And what didn't I do? Mm-hmm. I didn't pray. And I was just guilty of trusting in chariots and horses. And that's something that I have to repent of. And, and then I dropped prayer, but just the importance of prayer and, and communing with the Lord in prayer. And that, you know, it's one of those things we have to convince us, uh, convince ourselves of with the truth often in our weakness and flesh. But, you know, it's been fascinating to me that when I began to consistently regularly exercise my body during my work days, Though I was working less, my productivity went up. I got more done. And it's the same thing with prayer. Mm-hmm. <laughs> you you know, you think you ain't got a half hour or what you know, whatever. You know, I'm I'm all for three second prayers also. Yeah, the little Nehemiah Flair prayers. Absolutely yep. absolutely. So, but but also you can tell yourself that, well, I don't have 30 minutes to pray for myself, for my family, for members of the congregation, whatever, because I got so much to do. That is not the right way to look at it. You Mm. will get more done. Your work will be more blessed and productive, not because you're great, but because the Lord is blessing. If you take that 30 minutes or whatever, three seconds, you think you ain't got three seconds. If you take that time and you pray by the Lord's blessing, you will be so much further ahead. And it's contradictory but it reminds us of our finitude and our weakness and our dependency. And so through the Psalms, coupled with rereading Al Martin devotionally, that's what the Lord has been teaching me, just the critical nature of prayer. Um, I think I've said before, just a reminder of this, it shows how stupid we are that we need these constant reminders all the time, right? And stupid in the sense of, of weak and lame is how I mean that. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, I remember the first like week at seminary or two, I was tripping out, dude. It's like, I don't know if I can do this. 
And Don Pritchard, elder from Southside, and he still does it, mm-hmm. called yep. me and said, I'd like to start praying with you every Monday. And that was like the turnaround for me in my seminary career. And mm-hmm. it was all, you know, not not that everything was gravy after that, but it was just, it was, it was noticeably, palpably different. Mm-hmm. And the only thing I can ascribe that to is Don Pritchard calling and praying with me. The prayers of a righteous man avail much. Mm-hmm. And uh, that righteous, godly saint praying and also taught me the importance of prayer. Do you know how many guys he prays with? Because I know he, he does it with me too. And I know he does it with Jason Camry. Um, so I know it's multiple I, people. I think he uh, does it with Martin Monteith. Uh-huh. Um, uh, Kat from Sparta. Uh, uh, da, 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 I'm, I'm, I'm blanking. The, the point is he does it with a lot. Like yes. it's, it's, it's a wonderful ministry that he has. Yes, absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. So yeah, those would be my things. Tithing and then just the critical, absolutely critical place of prayer and ministry mm-hmm. and preaching and all of it. All right. Very good. Well, these next few questions are uh, uh, yours. So you want to take a look? Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> I'm up. Um, so so yeah, the a question that came to my mind, uh, and I'll ask and obviously give you the floor to answer this time, and then I'll I'll respond. After one year, what do you see as the most challenging aspect of ministry? Yeah, again, I don't think there's just one. I've got uh, five here, so I uh, trust you'll be patient with me on this. I don't know. How many do you have? Do you have just one? I follow rules. Okay. Well, you're just, oh, my word. <laughs> um, I don't know how to respond to that one, Joseph. Uh, I... Uh, I didn't, I guess. So I'll just give you my first one, then you give me yours, and then I'll just motor mouth the, the rest of the four. Um, but one of the things that I've found, and, and I don't think this would be the most, but it is certainly one of the challenges that I've seen um, in ministry is kind of ministry family balance, um, which I think has always been a challenge for me, uh, regardless of what I'm doing um, work-wise. Which I understand the ministry is not an occupation in the same sense that, uh, you know, landscaping and facilities management were um, in my past careers. But uh, as I was kind of surveying um, my life, by the time I, you know, moved on from my landscaping job, which I was in for 13 years, I absolutely loved it. Uh, I was just absolutely burnt out. Um, Same thing with uh, facilities management for two years, absolutely burnt out. And then at seminary, absolutely burnt out. And so one of the things that, I don't want to happen is I don't want to get burnt out in the ministry and um, I'm finding balancing, you know, rest because I don't rest well. Um, rest for me devolves into laziness. Um, so that, that's been a very challenging thing to navigate between, you know, throwing myself into the ministry while not neglecting the ministry of my own family, um, not uh, resting and becoming lazy. Uh, but actually resting to be able to, you know, uh, rest, recover and re-engage kind of thing. So that's, that's been one area that I've found particularly challenging in my first year of ministry. Um, what about you? Yeah. So for me, the thing that came to mind was something that Barry York uh, pointed out in his pastoral class uh, that all of the great pastoral theological textbooks uh, from history 
all touch on the challenges of ministering to a varied body. And so just the variety of ways in which ministering to a varied body imposes challenges on everything that we do. Um, So just realizing in the concrete, you know, you're preaching to a varied body week after week after week. You're teaching a varied body. You're counseling a varied body. You're with other members of the session who are themselves varied, leading a varied body. And it's been a joy, uh, but it's it's a challenge. And, and uh, you know, just you'll get feedback sometimes from people and somebody comes up and they tell you one thing and then somebody else five minutes later comes up and tells you something that is like totally opposite Mm -hmm. of that. And you want to serve them both and you want to understand them both and listen to them both. But it's it's like there are these competing expectations. It made me, it reminded me of that, um, that screenshot of that essay I I sent you recently uh, that somebody else had sent to me just speaking of, pastoral ministry and it touches on just some of the weight of ministering to a varied body. I won't read the whole thing, but uh, the author said this, uh, and I think this is on, I don't know, Reformation 21 or something like that. Uh, the one by uh, Top it. Yeah, I think it's yeah. right. Mm-hmm. It says, imagine the complexity of being called to lead a congregation of volunteers who pay your salary. Men and women who oftentimes have competing expectations of you, who are themselves still sinners. Imagine being in a position of leadership where it is absolutely essential to be liked by those you are called to lead, teach, correct, and at times rebuke. Imagine maintaining emotional and spiritual health when every day you are aware that you are letting someone down, failing to live up to some of the myriad and at times conflicting expectations and and he goes on there but yeah just that just that weight of Mm. seeking to serve such a varied body and you can love them all and they're they're godly and all that but just there's there's challenges there of having a sincere heart desire to serve all of them but then how that comes together when you think of Whitmer's categories of macro and micro, right? Micro, it's fine. It's just you and me talking. But in my macro ministry, taking into account, you know, X number of people in any given situation and and leading them, it's it's a yeah. challenge. It's well, a delightful challenge. But there's also the the danger even of all of that. Um watering down things because you do want to be liked and, and you do you do want to be a man pleaser right so it's it's hard right. to uh, be like well i'm you know i'm trying to be faithful to the lord and, and um, point out your sin as a loving brother and shepherd um so yeah that that is particularly uh a challenge um all right well i'll go through kind of the rest of mine and then i'm curious if uh you resonate with any of these as well um, i thought your first one was good oh thank you I, I find it quite difficult. Um, 
So the second one that, that I find challenging in, in in ministry is kind of micro stressors. And, and I hesitate to, to even bring this up in a public forum because what I don't want to communicate is I don't want to communicate that people should not be going to their pastors and asking them, you know, legitimate questions that they have. But, you know, every now and then you're going to be working on a sermon and everything. And um, for me, at least, it, it's kind of hard to get into the zone of sermon preparation. And then once you're there, like once you're in the zone, you know, hours go by. You're like, oh, man, praise God for that. That was a really good study session. Uh, but you're in the zone and then you get a text message with somebody asking kind of a legitimate question, but not an overly pressing question, um, like a, a very simple logistical question. So then you've got to stop and you've got to answer it. And then you kind of got to get back into the zone and it takes a while. And then these things just kind of pop up even uh, when you're at home with your family or it's on the weekend or you're on vacation. These these kind of things pop up. So I, I found micro stressors to kind of be a bit of a challenge. Uh, because a lot of micro stressors equal a macro stress, you know? Um, so again, I'm hesitant to say that because what I don't want to communicate is that people should not be asking their pastors questions like that. But I have found that um, kind of difficult to, to balance and to juggle. Um, the, the third challenging aspect, and um, this, I guess, connects somewhat to Jason Holopoulos' book on the, the pastor's handbook, because um, he's got two chapters in there. One is, you know, don't take yourself too seriously. Got that one. Check. No worries. <laughs> Um, and then the chapter right after that is you need to take yourself seriously. Um, you, you have real spiritual authority that you've been given by Jesus Christ through the church. Um, so kind of the weight of that spiritual authority, um, has been challenging because you, you know, me, if you've listened to the podcast, you, you know, that I'm a very goofy person and I like to crack jokes and everything. And sometimes they're not always uh, well-seasoned, um, <laughs> or well-timed, um, and, and there's a certain level that you, you just, you can't be careless with your words. And this really hit me. I was talking to, to one of the members of our uh, congregation and um, I'm not going to give any details or anything like that. He was like, yeah, we were talking. And I remember you said this one thing that I, I just found so helpful. And then in, he said what I said, and I don't remember saying it. <laughs> I was like, Ooh, um, praise God that the Holy spirit works through a doofus like me. Um, but there is, you know, that weight of spiritual authority, um, that can be quite challenging, um, and, um, terrifying even that, you know, we do have spiritual authority and our words affect people's lives. Um, and, you know, we deal with the, the truth, we deal with the gospel and we have to handle that so, so well. Um, so that's been kind of a challenge. Um, I've also find it, found it challenging to be consistent and kind of deep personal reading. Um, I probably read more than the average person. I probably read less than the average RP pastor. Um, and this is actually going to come up again in your next question a little bit, but just kind of staying engaged in uh, deep personal reading. And then five <clears throat> would be this. So the Lord has been very good to us as a congregation. We've seen a lot of people come to us over the last year Um so attendance is, is rising and um, we have a very um, vocally thankful congregation, which is wonderful. Uh, but the challenge that I'm wrestling with and have to, you know, uh, mortify and confess particular sins particularly is, you know, pride can well up and, and you can start to, you know, trust in chariots and horses, or you can trust in, you know, your own sermon preparation, your own personality, your own gifts and talents, which, you know, they're not even yours. They're given to you by God. Um, so seeing that ugly sin of pride kind of pop up, um, is perpetual and it's, it's one thing that has been kind of with me throughout my whole life, obviously. Um, but it pops up in the ministry and it's like, how, how dare I have pride, <laughs> you know, 
Um, so those would be kind of the top five challenging or most challenging aspects of uh, year one of ministry. Hmm. No, yeah, good. I mean, I, uh, you know, again, not tooting my own horn, but I don't have the problem with the sticking with a reading plan. But I mean, certainly the others of those mm-hmm. I can certainly vibe with. It is my time for the final question. Yes, sir. How has your preaching developed over year one? And how is it now still in the process of developing? Or what what particular aspect of preaching are you currently or recently or think you should be, however you know it may fall out for you at the moment, would be good for you to be working in if you're not mm-hmm. currently? Yeah, well, like I said before we hit record, I've got 10 of them, and, and you so uh, affectionately said I must really be uh, a stinker of a preacher. So, uh, <laughs> yeah, just in case anybody knows, like I, I make fun of Joe a lot on air. Joe makes fun of me a lot off air, um, but that's okay. It's, uh, it's brotherly love and affection. So I'll give you the first one and then uh, bounce it back to you and see how many you have. Um, but I, you know, I've told you this, I've, I've mentioned it on the podcast before when I first started preaching, um, it was very much like minimal bullet point outline form, um, which was okay. And, um, in some sense, I still do that to a degree, but I have found that it's not, my mind is not sharp enough to do, um, kind of off the cuff comments or preaching because, um, I'll either go down a rabbit hole or I'll say something that's kind of stupid. Um, so having a manuscript and actually, you know, typing things out sentence by sentence has been helpful. So like my, my manuscript looks a lot different than yours. Like I know yours is, you know, full sentences, paragraphs, that kind of thing. Whereas mine is more every sentence I, I do a new line and I indent it. So, you know, my manuscript is like 12 pages long. Yours will probably be close to four. Um, but that's one area of development that I've done. And, um, it's actually uh, helped the preaching a lot. Um, I think um, it, at least it's it's helped me in my preaching. Um, it's helped me in my clarity of thought. So that that would be uh, the first one that I've got. What about Sorry, you? full full confession here. Mm-hmm. I was with you for most of that and then zoned out. So so you do you do write a full manuscript now? You zoned out, Joseph Smith. It was, I was thinking relevant. You know how podcasting goes. You're trying to, you're the next guy up. You got to be thinking ahead. What are you going to say? No, it, it it reminds me when we interviewed uh, Titus Martin and he gave us the definition for the uh, youth program, the college program oh. that he does. <laughs> and then like right after that, I asked, can you define what that means? Like, what's the acronym? Because I zoned out. Um, but yeah, no, it's a full manuscript now. Mm-hmm. Hmm. I thought um, I showed you that last time you were here. Maybe you zoned out then too. I don't know. You've never shown me a twelve-page version of okay, something. Okay, well, on my iPad, like I preach from my iPad, so you scroll and it's twelve pages if you printed it off. But I mean, you're you're talking about where I assume you still take liberty and freedom in the pulpit to not be tied to it, but oh, for the most dude. part, no, you I'm can not... go up there. Yeah, no, no, listen to what I'm saying. But for the oh, most yes, part. Sir. Well, I'm trying to get my 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 question answered here. For, for the most part, you're saying that you could you could preach just straight from the manuscript, and you could have a full sermon on that that manuscript. I mean, you're you're thinking thought, and you're typing out yes. every thought, and then in the moment, sure, 
you're going to you're going to preach more freely and thoughts may come to mind there may be expansions you may leave something out in the moment whatever but essentially you are writing out a full sermon in words thoughts etc yeah um there there're going to be things where maybe I'll do like uh one or two words to trigger a whole thought um sure. but for the most part so we had uh, a student from Taylor who was from uh South Korea and his English was, you could talk to him and communicate with him, but, you know, he had a hard time keeping up with, with the sermon. So I would print out the sermon and give it to him. And he was basically getting what I was saying, but mm-hmm. I'm not sitting there reading it. Um, I'm kind of, I'm actually kind of, I'm a floater. I'm all over the the stage and our stage mm-hmm. is very creaky. So I apologize to people who have to hear that type of stuff. All right. That was probably super annoying on the podcast. Joseph, you're up. I'm a pacer too, and one of our funnier members said he knows why, and it's because I'm from Indiana, and our basketball team is the Pacers. You know what? I've never thought of it that way, but that uh, that's brilliant. Makes a lot of sense. He's a brilliant guy. Um. So yeah, I mean, I do the manuscript thing too, which I didn't necessarily do before. And I've totally eliminated my second step after manuscripting, which was to go to like the boxes kind of slide mm-hmm. type deals that we learned from Calvin Trout. Which I don't uh, know how you preach from that to begin with. Like your your handwriting was so tiny. Well, you know, it happened. It worked um, and it was great. Like you, you did a marvelous job. I don't know about that, but it 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 did its thing. Um but but mainly for time reasons, I I eliminated that and and do and I anybody who does manuscripting or even would consider it I'd highly recommend Matthew Everhard's YouTube videos on sermon manuscripting, just super helpful to me. So you can get the same benefit of preaching from an outline or boxes if you, you know, creatively use highlighting and bolding and things like that and maybe jot stuff in the margins or whatever, you you get the same effect. But um, so so something more concrete that that I've done since I've been here that I did not do. Uh, before coming here, you and I have talked about this and maybe it's been said before during my episode. I don't know, but, um, just, just, uh, calling people to repent and believe in Jesus Christ in every single sermon. Um, that was something I started doing and it almost happened somewhat by accident, right? At first, it was just like, it was just kind of happening in the first couple sermons and people started saying they appreciated it. And then I remember like the, the hinge point was, one time early in Ephesians, I think it may have been one, one eleven to 14, I wrote the sermon, and then it just struck me before I printed it off. I was like, I don't have a gospel call in here, you know? Mm-hmm. Um, so I went back, edited some stuff, and added it. And, like, ever since then, it's been, like, a conscious thing. Like yeah, the, and then everybody, you know, close their eyes, bow their heads, nobody looking around, that kind of gospel call. Exactly like that. <laughs> No. <laughs> and when everybody opens their eyes, you know, the uh, uh, the curtains behind you open up and everybody can see the mountains and yeah. the glory and splendor and majesty of uh, the fog machines yeah. start lifting <laughs> above. You know, we got the high ceiling and mm-hmm. yeah, it's a, it's a very, very good experience. Yeah, your preaching truly has developed then. Exactly. Exactly. So um, I don't even feel the need to qualify that statement and say that that's not true. But, um, and yet so you still yeah. did. I know you got to, right? Uh, you never do know these days. Gospel calls every sermon. That would be a concrete thing for me. 
you said you have 10. I don't have near 10, but I'll stop at that one. And yeah, well, I'll, I'll throw that in as well. Like I, I'm, I try to do some type of gospel call, even if it's, you know, 30 seconds or five minutes um, or the whole sermon, yeah, oh, yeah. like, like my, my last sermon, it was, it was pretty much the whole thing was a evangelistic gospel call sermon. Um, one of the things that I've moved away from a little bit was I, I used to have a lot of illustrative material in my preaching. I have much less than that than I used to. Um, it could be a good thing, could be a bad thing. Um, but I found myself thinking too hard about illustrative material and sometimes it, it worked and other times it was, it didn't. <laughs> um, so like, in, in, you know, I've got this whole list of ways to, um, think about illustrations and how to include them and things like that which I think we've talked about on the podcast before. So I still use them a lot, but I've kind of moved away from them. Um, I've not moved away from them completely. I still try and add a bunch of illustrations because I think they're really, really helpful. Um, but it was becoming kind of the focus of my sermon preparation was thinking about illustrations, not thinking about the explicit explanation and application of the text. Um, so that's maybe one way that my preaching has developed, hopefully for the better. Well, that's sweetness to my ears as well to hear. Dude, you from are you. so condescending. I mean that. Yeah. <laughs> uh, I'm so glad you're reading Matthew Barrett. I'm so glad. <laughs> it does though. It makes me happy. Uh, I'm glad. So it's it's funny you say that because because um, perhaps one of the things that I'm I'm more consciously trying to work on would be. Um, some illustration because mm-hmm. you i can have entire sermons devoid right of of any um illustration and so i've been trying to uh think through that and it doesn't always happen but that's you know you and i have talked our opposites in that and so i think probably for both of us it's both moving in the right direction for us um i think i could move a little more in your direction you could move a little more like you are in the 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 explanation uh, uh, and application expressly in propositional form. Um, but I think we would both be amiss uh, for me to not strive towards illustration and you to ever forsake uh, what is a, an obvious strength of yours. But um, so so, yeah, one thing I've been working on is, is illustrations. Um, I'll probably never be great at that, but it's something I'm self-consciously striving, striving to grow in. Yeah, one of one of the things I'm striving to grow in is not so much the the preaching moment as much as it is the um, development of the sermon itself. Like I I get very weary in preparation, um, so it's hard for me to have the mental stamina to continue to kind of press forward. So very rarely do I get to have, or do I experience you know three two three four hours of just nonstop sermon preparation. It's more like 45 minutes and I have to take a break and do something or an hour. I think the most that I can do is two hours. If I do two hours nonstop, like if I really push myself, I can't do any more sermon preparation that day. Hmm. Um, I can do other things, but as far as the the sermon preparation, I just can't do it. Um, But, you know, you go to bed the next day you get up and, you know, you fly through it. So that's one area where I'm striving to grow in is just my uh, mental endurance uh, to continue to have these longer um, writing sessions for sermon preparation. Mm, that's good. Um, one other thing that I'm striving to grow in um, w- would be more expressly saying something. And this is another thing I'm not good at. Um, and it doesn't happen every sermon 
and I don't know if I'm convinced it would need to happen every sermon. Um, but but nevertheless, just expressly speaking to the children um, mm. uh, during during a point or something uh, would be something that that I'm striving and self consciously aware of a weakness and have that pinpointed along with illustration yeah. as something in this second year. I hope to be able to grow in. Have I told you what, what I started doing uh, a couple months ago with that? Um, so yeah, directly addressing the kids, but we do, there, there's um, three ways where I try to directly address the kids during the worship service. The first is um, before we do the announcements, before call to worship and everything, we've got our Sunday school teachers um, teaching the kids catechism. Um, so the great commission catechism, not the short catechism. I know um, shame on me, but anyways, we'll, We'll get up there and whoever's giving the announcements will say, okay, kids, I know you've done this. This is your chance to be really loud and your parents aren't going to tell you to shush, like shout it as loud as you can. And you ask the catechism question and then they shout it back to you and it's uh, it's pandemonium, but it's great. They get some wiggles out and everything. The second way that we do it is, um, you know, when I'm telling people what text to turn to, um, maybe give a brief introductory or introduction comment. And then I say, okay, kids, here's your, um, here's your drawing prompt. You know, if, if your parents are okay with you drawing in church. Um, I want you to draw this about the sermon. And then so you make sure like you mention that and then you highlight when you mention that to the kids as they're drawing or whatever they want to uh, to draw anything about the sermon. And then afterwards, um, I tell the kids they can come up to me and show me their picture. And if their kid, parents are OK with it, they can get like a sticker or a starburst or something. So it's a little cheesy, but I, I found the kids actually are really engaged um, doing that. Um, so I didn't really have that on my list, but that's one thing that I found really, really helpful. Um and I really like doing it because the kids, they're, they're more locked in uh, as you're preaching, even if you're not directly saying, OK, children, that's helpful. Um, but when you're including them in everything, that, that's really, really good. But I found it to be really helpful. Um, the the fourth thing that I've got is I in you and I are, I guess, again, opposites in this where um, you speak slow. I speak fast. Um, so you're the tortoise on the hare. And when I speak quickly, it's kind of hard for people to, to follow. So you can chalk that up to maybe nerves. You can chalk that up to excitement. You can chalk that up to too much caffeine. Um, but that's been kind of one of the reoccurring comments um, that I'll get is you were talking too fast. So I've got a post-it note on the pulpit that says speak slow, multiple O's. Um, so that's something that I'm trying to do is just uh, speak slowly. And I'll throw in another one in here with that is uh, enunciating words. Cause I can slur my words together because I speak so quickly and I think I'm doing that even now. So I'm just going to try and take a deep breath. Um, but uh, <laughs> I got a comment from somebody who uh, was listening to one of my sermons a few weeks ago. I'm like, you need to take hook on phonics again, uh, which is a homeschool curriculum. For <laughs> uh, you know, enunciate. So that that's, that's one um, area that I'm seeking to grow. And that that's more of the um, preaching or public speaking elements of preaching, not so much the, the preaching itself, but they, they do go hand in hand. Yeah. I've, I've got two more things. Um, so one has just been from feedback I've got from people. Uh, I've, I've modified my intros a little bit. Typically I recap mm -hmm. the, prior sermon especially since generally speaking preaching through a book and so it's uh so i've done that but i've added in uh doing a reminder of the context and a brief very brief overview of the upcoming sermon like just very basically where we're going you know this is the main track or whatever 
So it, my intros now, based on feedback, consist of both recap and preview. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah, that's good. Um, I'll do one more. I've got got a few others here. Um, so this is more of the the preparation for preaching. Um, is and you know this. I'm pretty weak in the languages. Which I, I kind of take uh, Nathan Eshelman's view on that. It's like, well, why would I try and redo something that's already been done well? Like the, the guys who have translated these English, the good English versions, you know, that's what it says. So why put more work into it? Um, but I have tried to, you know, keep my uh, Greek text because I'm in the New Testament right now. My Greek text open before me and maybe parse a few words that I think might be important. Um, it might not be, but uh, it's still a good practice. So I don't know if that comes out in the preaching as much as it does just in the preparation. That's uh, one thing that I'm striving to grow in is just getting a better grasp on the languages. Oh, that's good. Um, yeah, last thing for me is just I provide uh, like sermon inserts now. And one side of them has essentially an outline of the sermon, but it's uh it's not like your typical outline you know these points or fill in this blank line or three points whatever i'm i'm not that at all it doesn't work for me i don't like it for me i don't like being forced to do it um fine with other people doing it but still um so in in some sense i'm not an outline preacher at all but there's obviously a structure and so giving that structure to the congregation as a sermon insert uh, so they can see where we're going, see what thoughts are sub thoughts to this thought or whatever uh, has been something that I think has been helpful to some, something they can take with them. And on the back of those sheets now, something I've started to do very recently, shout out to Ed Blackwood uh, and the dissertation he's writing on integrating family worship and public worship is providing family worship guides mm-hmm. uh, for the sermons. So I'll provide three days worth of family worship guides, uh, devotional guides based on the morning sermon on the back of the morning sermon insert. And then I'll do the same thing for the evening to give them six days of uh, family or personal devotions based on the sermon to help them continue to meditate on the things that have been preached uh, and to chew on those things throughout the week as well. And and that's been even helpful. I've heard some guys talk about how they'll be looking at both sides, both the overview of the sermon and the family worship guide as they're listening uh, to, to get those things kind of ingrained in their heads for the week ahead, or it just, just seems to help them listen and track uh, with, with the preaching. There's probably some other things I could say, but I'll leave it there. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Very good. Well, uh, I think that's all the questions that we had, but I do have a mystery question. It's uh, oh, yeah. it's not a, a theological mystery question, but it is a mystery question. So, you know, uh, in your first year of ministry, um, what is something that you've seen, and you can do multiple things if you want, but what do you really appreciate about the Westminster congregation? What do I really appreciate about the Westminster congregation? Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, it would be a lot of the same of what I've always appreciated about them. But it's kind of like, you know, if you think about fine wine, it just gets better with time or whatever. Or, you know, loving your wife, certainly you learn new things about her. But often you you come to just appreciate many of the things you loved at the beginning. So uh, it would be their love uh, for the Lord, uh, their 
committed to the Lord. They're open to counsel. They desire counsel. They they want to be conformed to the image of Christ, and they're willing on the whole to do hard things uh, to please the Lord and to strive after very hard things. Uh, we we know conflict, peacemaking, things like that, changing our minds on things is not generally an easygoing process. And and but having a group of people committed to that has been a joy. Uh, also, you mentioned you know the the gratitude and the appreciation of the congregation for what we're doing here as a session. There seems to be uh, very genuine thankfulness, genuine encouragement to keep on keeping on. Again, that's that doesn't come without positive, constructive criticism, but the heart of it is is out of gratitude for what's happening and a desire to see uh, growth in these things. And so to keep on keeping on, but to keep on growing in things that they're enjoying. Um, so they're, they're just a very thankful congregation and they, they, they just have a hunger and thirst for the Lord's word. Um, we just started a midweek Bible study that we do over teams and the attendance to that has been excellent. Um, the attendance to our services is great to other things we do is great. They're taking to things like those family worship guides, et cetera, is great. So there's just a real hunger and thirst for the Lord and his word. And then I've been super encouraged lately by how many we've been coming out with us uh, when we go up to Boulder uh, to do evangelism up there. The numbers have been increasing. And again, I think that's just, you know, uh, evangelism in a hostile environment uh, or an apathetic environment uh, when the devil would not want you to go do that and your flesh may not want to go do that the world doesn't want you to go do that so um public evangelism is a battle against all three enemies and yet seeing more people come out with us again is an evidence of the stirring of the spirit and their commitment to do again hard things uh if they know and are convinced that they are pleasing to the Lord. So those, uh, those would be things they, they love my wife. Uh, the ladies are very loving and gracious to her. Um, uh, and our children as well. Um, and then just the session and the deacons here have all been great as well. And just not doing their general labors, but in supporting me in this first year also, um, so yeah, I could keep blabbing mm-hmm. on, you know, mm-hmm. as you could about your wife or your own children, but, um, I'll stop there. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Well, I'm going to take the liberty to answer the question as well. You know, much like you, you know, um, aged wine, the, the way I articulate it is we were always thankful, um, to come here and the longer we're here, the more our thankfulness increases and abounds, um, we've talked about this before, but, you know, seminary preps you and be like, you know, your first, your goal in your first year of ministry is to survive. Um, and, you know, I'm sure that in God's providence, that's been the case for many men. Um, but, but for us, it's just been a real joy uh, to be here 
there's also talk about, you know, your family's in a fishbowl, your kids are going to be kind of judged and you're going to be judged with how you parent and how your kids behave. And, you know, <clears throat> our congregation is very patient, but we, and we don't feel the fishbowl thing. Um, I think that these people, they are engaged in the preaching and more than any other congregation that I've seen. Now, maybe I'm biased with that. Maybe every pastor would say that. I, I hope so. Um, but it's really an encouraging thing to see people, you know, interacting with you as you're preaching, not just my son shouting in the middle of a sermon, you know, but, but people looking at you, people taking notes, people nodding their heads, people, you know, um, furrowing their eyebrows, trying to um, comprehend something that you're saying. Maybe they, maybe they agree. Maybe it's something that they never thought about before. Um, this is a congregation of servants. Uh, these people serve one another. Um, they love one another. Uh, these people know the word very well. Um, they love Jesus. They love the, each other. They love the lost. And it's, it's just been a real joy. My first year of ministry has been an absolute delight. Um, and I, like I said, I'm praying that the Lord has me here for, you know, my whole ministry. I'm, I'm, I'm going to get a burial plot in one of the, uh, <laughs> cemeteries here but uh yeah so i'm i'm very thankful to the lord for bringing us here and, and placing us with uh, these men and women um they are a delight to my heart and i love them all very much so hopefully you didn't uh, zone out on that one joe um but we are at the end of our time here this has been another episode of the blue banter podcast an anthology of pastoral theology we've been discussing uh ministry year one of joseph smith and aaron murray if you like this podcast, you can rate and review us on iTunes or whatever podcast catcher you use. You can share this episode on social media. If you have a question you'd like us to ask our pastors that we have on this podcast or suggest that we interview your pastor on the podcast, you can email us at bluebanterpodcast at gmail.com, bluebanterpodcast at gmail.com. And until next time, whether you eat, drink, or banter, do all to the glory of God. <laughs>